Welcome to the Pride and Healthcare podcast. I am Nicholas Smith, along with my two awesome co-hosts, aka my classmates, Dewana Shannon and Michelle Monia. We are proud MBA students at the at the Indiana Western University, majoring in healthcare administration. Onto this podcast, we bring to the forefront a topic we don't hear much in our on our cable news channels. Healthcare disparities in the LGBT community. Uh, only in 2016, the uh, LGBT group was identified as a healthcare disparity population by the National Institute of, of Health, the NIH. I know 2016 seems like um, ages ago, given that we live in a time of the COVID-19 pandemic. Everything seems like, you know, it's been a long time ago. But yes, in 2016, the NHI uh, recognized that people of people who identify as LGBTQ had lower access to healthcare and are oftentimes discriminated against by healthcare workers. Uh, research has shown that as part of the solution to combat this um, disparities, uh, um, appropriate training for healthcare workers as part of the solution that can all due to um, basically um, narrow the gap of the disparities in the healthcare community. But before we um, get into that discussion, we want to first um, ask the question for today, which should be to combat LGBT healthcare disparities, should healthcare organizations, the hospitals that we all go to, implement mandatory LGBTQ culture competency training for, their, for all employees? Um, we joining us today to discuss this topic. Um, we have Dr. Jillian Rose. She's an assistant vice president of community engagement, diversity, and research at the Hospital of Special Surgery. Welcome, Dr. Rose. Thank, Thank Dr. you. Rose. Hello, everyone. Hello, hello. Thanks for having me. We are excited to have you today to discuss uh, healthcare disparities in the LGBT community. As I mentioned earlier, it's not something we often hear, you know, on our six o'clock news or as we turn on the multiple cable channels we have on our, on our cable networks. Um, so we want to we want to discuss this um, this issue and get some more insight, not only from from you, but also um, share from some of our own research and have a healthy discussion on on this topic. So I'll, I'll turn it over to Michelle. Michelle. Hi, Dr. Rose. How are you? I'm well, thank you, Michelle. Um, I, I work in the healthcare field, and it's important for healthcare workers to understand unconscious biases that they may have towards patients and not even realize um, that they may be acting a certain way. I've got some friends that have shared their experiences with me, and so it made me think that, you know, this is a real problem that awareness um, needs to happen. So I was wondering, in your experience, have you seen where unconscious biases result in poor care outcomes? Um, example, in a physician bias towards a patient that would result in um, his medical, his or her medical decision making uh, in regards to discrimination towards that patient? Absolutely. Um, so let's talk a little bit about unconscious or implicit bias. Um, and for the audience, really, 
thinking about what that means, right? We're really talking about biases that are deeply ingraining, ingrained in us and ingrained in our psyche that we don't often really think about. We don't think we're biased. We don't think we're racist. We don't think we're discriminating. These biases um, are often hidden uh, and they operate unknowingly to us, right? And so it's important for us to understand that there are mechanisms um, that operate in our own consciousness and in our psyche, whether it's because of our upbringing, whether it's because of society, for example, most of us will say, you know, women and children first. If there was a Titanic situation uh, and you ask people, well, who gets into the life raft first? People would say women and children. Why do we say that? right how did how did we arrive at those concepts it's because of the way we were acculturated and it's important for us to understand that our brains are wired in a way to take information and make decisions especially when we're moving at um, a really fast uh, uh, really fast pace so as you know in healthcare we're often moving at a really fast pace so unconscious bias can often creep into decision making without us even knowing. So when we talk about unconscious or implicit bias, it refers to the attitudes or stereotypes that affect our understanding, actions and decision making in an unconscious manner. And these biases and association can be both favorable or unfavorable uh, of different groups. Um, and the implicit or unconscious uh, associations we harbor in our unconscious mind can cause us to have feelings or attitudes towards people based on their characteristics such as how they speak or their language their gender their gender identity their sexual orientation their appearance their race their ethnicity or language all these implicit association can make uh, can can really form our judgment about how we treat people and it happens really in the blink of an eye. And these associations develop over the course of our lifetime, beginning from a very early age in our childhood, um, you know, due to exposure to direct or indirect messaging. So for a lot of people who grew up in, you know, the civil rights time, uh, or a lot of people who grew up in a time where they really remember um, you know, segregation and separate being equal, um, or even for a lot of people who remember or grew up uh, maybe in religious homes where um, abortions were not permitted because of religious concerns, their bias towards people who are more um, in a place where they want to make choices for themselves or their pro-choice might be um, skewed because of the associations that they grew up with. So when we talk about implicit and unconscious bias, I, I just wanted to give some context for that and to make a point to say that these are um, unconscious uh, and, and, and implicit attitudes and stereotypes that are operating beyond our control oftentimes, right? And so it's different from racism, blatant and explicit racism, an implicit or unconscious bias is different. So when we talk about the question of have I seen that in hospital settings, um, and and I'll have to say yes, and I'll, I'll give you a couple of examples. So across our, our research, and research tells us that because of implicit bias, um, 
populations, um, especially the LGBTQ plus population, um, are often marginalized. And I'll give you a simple way of how that plays out um, and have played out in institutions that I've been a part of. Um, one example of that is, is something as simple as uh, a person chosen gender. Um, and so, for example, if you take someone like, uh, let's say, uh, Chaz Bono, and Chaz Bono is coming into our healthcare facility. As you know, Chaz Bono was born Chastity Bono, um, and they're coming into our healthcare facility. And Chaz is filling out my registration form, and they, and he sa- he says, "I'm Chaz Bono," and we ask, "What's your sex?" And he says, "Male." because Chaz Bono has been living as Chaz Bono for, I don't know, 30 plus years now. Um, If we ask no other question other than what's your sex, right? And we are going to perform an operation and we are thinking about how we do medication or how we um, uh, administer uh, anesthesia and things like that. The male body is different biologically from a female body. And in our systems in EPIC um, or other electronic medical record systems, we are automatically calculating, well, how much medication would Chaz Bono, a a male, need versus a person who was born Chastity Bono. And so you can see that if we are just going off of someone's, okay, stated sex and not their gender identity, uh, or their their birth sex, we can miscalculate how much anesthesia a person who like maybe Chaz Bono needs because that person was born female and now they're living their lives as, as, as a man, right? So right away when Chaz Bono comes into our facility, one of the things that we're mindful of is really understanding that person's gender identity really understanding their sexual orientation and not because we're nosy, but because we want to avoid mishaps in care and what we want to avoid implicit bias. So sometimes, um, you know, Chaz Bono may come in, I'm using that as an an example, may come in and show an ID that may still have Chastity Bono. And right away, a clinician might say, well, I'm just going to call you Chastity when Chaz has been living as Chaz for 30 years. So just in a person's chosen name, because it doesn't match up to their ID, some clinicians, whether nurses, doctors may say, well, I'm just going to call you what's on your ID. And from the beginning, if I'm living as Chaz Bono in my life, I want you to call me Chaz. I'm not going to trust you because if you keep saying chastity, 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 that's so distracting for me because that's not the identity that I'm living or what I prefer or what I have chosen. And so from the very beginning in uh, uh, recognizing a person's name, a person's chosen pronoun from the door, you know, I often see people being very gung ho about I'm going to use what's on your ID versus what's what you choose to live as. And so that's, that creates discomfort and mistrust from the very beginning of an interaction. Excellent. And that, and um, this discomfort and mistrust, I mean, we've all been part of organization where we had to attend um, diversity training and, and sexual harassment training. And a lot of times these trainings are meant to make, make us more aware of our biases and, and how, how our biases may, may impact um, our, our fellow coworkers or people that we interact with and in an in, in environment and how we do basically have to be more sensitive 
to, to others. So if, if it is that a physician or a nurse is not addressing an individual by their the, the chosen pronouns or, or the way they wish to identify, then that is that that could be because of maybe they're un, um, unaware of 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 the impact that may have on a patient and on and and how that may also impact the the trust barrier that may that may be created there as well. So I want my my question to you is since since um, competency training has been around for mostly for you know for for diversity and for and for um, sexual harassment do you think a similar training being implemented in the in the healthcare environment uh, competence training for LGBTQ culture do you think that that will have any impact similar to you know any other uh, training of diversity in in uh, that, we, that, that we've all been subject to do you think that competence training for healthcare LGBT, LGBT will, will give the physician more more understanding of the culture of LGBT and how to better provide care for the community that's that's um the kind of uh, kind of shrink that 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 gap of diverse of um disparity yeah so you know uh, i i think the um cultural competency trainings are definitely needed um and 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 coupled with implicit bias training as well one we have to understand who we are and what we bring to the table as providers as clinicians we have to understand our own biases we have to understand the tri- the thing that triggers us and to be fully candid the tri- the thing that trigger me and i know i have an implicit bias about is when i see someone not wearing a mask especially in a closed setting and i i'm like oh my god this person don't care about themselves they don't care about me they're not protecting you know uh you know the community and each other they're not doing their part right and that's my implicit bias i don't automatically go to oh maybe this person can't breathe well or um maybe they have their vaccine and they think they're 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 fine maybe they just had it i don't go to those places right when i see someone unmasked in a closed environment i automatically go to a place of bias right and i've realized that about myself and that's my implicit bias it's important for us to understand what we bring to the table and what triggers us right um so for example transgender patients reported verbal uh, verbal abuse physical abuse sexual assault being refused treatment by healthcare providers in so many of the research studies that we have looked at they've also reported having to educate providers about transgender people in order to get appropriate care um with higher rates of those people uh trans people being people of color who are often discriminated against um, Um, it's hard to go to the doctor and then have to educate them about who you are and what your needs are, right? Um, And so when we talk about healthcare disparities, we're talking about a matter of a person's health, life, and well-being. Um, And when we look at research, we see things like you know, people being turned away from getting mammograms because they identify um, as male, their gender identity as male, but their sex at birth is female. So their physical and biological body parts have not changed. And so a mammogram would be appropriate. And so back in the day, they would be refused mammograms. And for a lot of people who identified um, as uh, as transgender male, they were refused care 
um, and ended up dying because of breast cancer with no early detection because insurances just wouldn't pay for it if you had down mail on your registration sheet and they're like okay this person um, is this person is identifying as male why would they need a mammogram right but that person still had female body parts so when we talk about cultural competency training we have to first identify and look at what are the issues and what are the impact of the issues and what are we bringing to the table um, it's not just for the sake of checking a box right and saying okay we did that and that's fine and we're moving on it's important we've been talking about these disparities in healthcare for a very long long time we've been talking about lgbtq plus youth you know who are more susceptible uh, to committing suicide because of being bullied because of not being believed about their sexual identity uh, because of not being treated well in healthcare settings um, and it's important for us to understand that as clinicians, we want to take responsibility for the disparities that we see. And how do we take responsibility? Cultural competency training allows us to first look at ourselves, really understand what the issues are and the impact of our behavior is, uh, and then really look at creative ways on how we change our behavior and how we help the systems that we're in, the healthcare systems that we're in, change policies and change their stance and behaviors to take more accountability for securing the life and safety of all of our patients, including the LGBTQ plus population. Excellent, thank you very much for that, for um, making, making that clear for us that we really have to first look at ourselves and, and look at how, how our actions we impact others and also really become aware of our own biases and before we can definitely address um help understand other cultures especially lgbt community um shannon do you um michelle do you have, you have another question uh i do um dr rose do you think that implementing those types of competencies right away during the onboarding process as well as annual competencies do you think that would help bring awareness um especially with the new hires coming into the organization um or do you feel that the, that's just going to be viewed as another competency just to check off yeah you know i think it's really critical for it to be in the lifeblood of the organization i think it needs to happen as orientation starts organizations need to take a stance to say i don't care what you believe i am not challenging your belief as a person of faith a religious person a person who's catholic a person who may have the belief that uh, people shouldn't identify in different ways what we operate on is dignity and respect and when you work for our organization you have to show dignity and respect to our patients and to your colleagues no matter how they identify right and so we need to establish those ground rules of engagement right away it's important that people know right away in their orientation that you are coming to an organization that respects right and hold up the dignity of all people especially lgbtq plus populations um, who are disproportionately affected by all these disparities and also perform lower in the workplace 
um, often because they feel like they're trapped and they're ostracized and they're judged, right? So if we want to create an environment where we have a growth mindset and a a highly engaged workforce, we have to think about uh, implicit bias and cultural competency training, not only to address our patients, but to ensure that there's dignity and respect for each other so that we can work and cultivate a harmonious, um, you know, uh, a picture of quality of care for our patients. And also uh, a cultural competency approach that says this, this cultural competency approach and training is not just about a one-time orientation training. It is how we do business. And if you can't provide all patients with the same level of dignity and respect, then you don't belong at the organization. Um, And so I think right away, taking a stance that this is how we do business and making that clear to employees when they are onboarding into the institution to say, this is a part of our culture, dignity and respect for all. I think that's really, really important. So additionally, there are those pieces that I talked about, right? It's hard for someone who's working, for example, at our hospital, we do implicit bias training and we're focused, we collect race, ethnicity and language, gender identity and sexual orientation information. This is mandated by the Affordable Care Act. This is mandated by different state regulations, uh, things like meaningful use, where we look at how we do um, quality of care. So there are standards in the external world that says to institution, this information is important to collect for the safety and quality of care for your patients, right? So the, the, it's, it's the onboarding piece, but it's the also using the, the regulations and using the external environment as an impetus to say, this is what, this is the standard that we need to meet, right? And that standard says that when someone coming to come into our door, we provide an invitation for them to be who they are. We provide an invitation to let them know this is a safe space for you. You can share with us your gender identity. You can share with us your pronouns. We want to know how you identify in the world so you can feel most comfortable. We want to know how your family identifies so we can include your caregivers. So if we see two same gendered loving people come into the room, we're not looking just for a husband and a wife. We're not looking for uh, a mom and a dad. We're looking for partners. We're looking for people who identify as parents or guardians. We're not putting artificial labels on people and asking them to fit into a box. And that takes some teaching. So the training is just not the onboarding piece of dignity and respect. The second level is helping people to move to a place of competence and working with the population because it's not oftentimes it's not a person's lexicon or language to say, you know, I know how to use they, them instead of he, she, or what does that even mean? You know, what does gender non-conforming mean? What does non-binary mean? All these words that's in the LGBTQ plus lexicon, it's important that people have a working knowledge so that they can refer to people appropriately and invite them to bring themselves into the room. Um, and thirdly, why why these competency trainings are important and necessary, it's to do no harm. If a person is coming to us who live their lives as a man, and they can still get pregnant because they were born female, but their gender identity is male. We have to do a pregnancy test on every patient. 
right? So if we're just at the surface level with people, we can miss doing a pregnancy test. And if that person is pregnant, we can injure a fetus. So it's not just about cultural competency for the sake of, you know, this is what we have to do to check off a box. It's about the dignity and respect. It's about establishing the, the reputational and the organizational culture, mission, and value around the equitable treatment of all people. And it's about really giving people the tools and information they need to provide safe care and healthy care based on the operations of the, the, the institution and the clinical requirements, right? So there's many folds to this conversation uh, when you talk about healthcare. Right. And it's important that people come in with that understanding and the onus is on us as hospitals to ensure that we're providing that knowledge, we're providing those boundaries, we're providing those baselines and that we're also setting consequences. Right. If you're not able to treat our patients in a respectful and dignified way and make them feel welcome and safe at our institution, then we cannot engage in a contractual agreement um, as employer and employee. And we really take that stance in the place that I work at. Um, and I think we're just better for it. Yes, I, I think that um, it has to be a cultural thing that the entire healthcare organization take on, not only from the very from the very, very beginning, but it has to also travel with the employees throughout their employment. And that has to be something that comes from the top where, you know, that's this is who we are this is our mission this is our vision and this is who we are and um i think that's has to be really embedding the culture for um to be successful and hopefully we see more more places will 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 lead with that with, with that type of integrity for all approach um, Sh- um shannon you have, a, you have a question um not really a question but more like well yeah and the lg the lgbtq community is nothing new uh, it's just the century we're living in. People are more out and open about and aware of who mm-hmm. they are. Um, Dr. Julian mentioned in the beginning that biases are unconscious and it's often difficult to connect with people we don't understand. It's sad because relationships are po- a powerful part of who we are. Like most people need human connection and want to meet new people. These disparities are seen in areas of behavioral health, physical health, access to care. Yes. In the end, oh, okay, go ahead. No, go ahead. Sorry. In the end, combating healthcare disparities is a necessity, and I believe that cultural competency training will be a great start. Um, do you guys, what kind of barriers do you think will come with establishing this type of training? You know, I think depending on where you are and the organizations that you're in, I mean, you're dealing with humans, right? And we come in with a set of our own values, right? Our own beliefs, our own cultural lens, right? Our own biases, our own, you know, uh, behaviors around discrimination and our, our own power and class and race dynamics. All of those things are, are mixed up into one. And so sometimes, you know, why I talked about really looking at cultivating the awareness of who we are in our own biases, right? And our own judgment is the first step because we're dealing with people. You're not going, you're not going to check your bias at the door. I often tell people when I, when I teach about implicit bias or racism and discrimination, you don't think, you don't, you don't say that, you know, I'm going to, 
you know, I'm going to check my racism at the door because oftentimes people are not explicitly admitting those things to themselves and are often unaware of how it's impacting their work. So it's important for us to provide opportunities for employees to really examine themselves in a frank and honest way. And one of the ways people can do that is by taking the implicit bias tests. And we often give that test to our clinicians, um, even our registration staff, to help them to understand their own biases and they can see their bias score. And then we provide opportunities throughout the year for people to take, we have a mandatory, it's a mandatory competency that people have to take every single year. Um, and there's an electronic mandatory competency, and there's also an in-person mandatory competency. Um, in addition to that, for high touch areas, people who are touching our patients, people who are in our patients' faces, people who are providing care, we um, often go into leadership meetings and staff meetings and just role play. Because my job as a radiology tech is different from your job as a surgeon, is different from this other person's job as a nurse, or is different from the person who's registering you at the front desk, right? Um, so it's important for us to understand that we have to do something for each person for them to really understand and integrate it into their work. So one, it's good for the blanket education. That's a great start. But then we have to hammer home and be granular, you know, about, okay, this is your role. How does implicit bias come up? How does racism come up? You know, how can these things be detected? How can you be aware? You know, how, what are some examples that have come up before? How would you handle a situation if a person comes in front of you and uh, you, you, you are speaking to a person who looks or gender expression uh, is female, uh, but, they, but they tell you to call me he or him, right? How do you deal with that situation? How do you ask a person whose gender expression is male for a pregnancy test as a nurse? How do you ask for that? How do you talk about that being important to the institution and the patient's safety? How do you ask someone their sexual orientation with them saying, what the heck does that have to do with my knee replacement, <laughs> you know, or my back, you know, or my hip, whatever they're coming for, right? But it, it has to do, and you have to be able to articulate that we want to respect your caregivers. We want to tell you about medication. We want to talk with you about intimacy and intercourse and how your surgery or your treatment might be impacted um, depending you know, on how your partner and, and how you share passion, love, uh, and affection. So there, there's so many layers that people need to understand based on their roles, right? So it's not just cultural competency training for all. It's going to solve our issues in, in disparities for LGBTQ plus population. We need to take a tailored approach so that people have an, a hands-on understanding of what their roles are, how to respond for people to say the word sexual orientation, for people to say the word transgender, for people to say the words gay, lesbian, bisexual, for people to say those words, right? And so many of us are not even saying the words in our place of work. And so when it comes to confronting those conversation, we don't feel as competent. So we brush over it. And that's when mistakes happen. That's where we can hurt people in the process of trying to provide care. So um, I think those are some of the barriers. The barriers are an institutional commitment 
you know, this, these trainings um, and really putting together a strategic plan to approach uh, and address disparities, uh, uh, you know, it takes resources. And will organizations put the appropriate resources that's needed? Additionally, will you move from the surface level of cultural competency for all and all people are equal to a more granular training, whether it's implicit bias, coupled with hands-on training of how this population's disparity, how can I take ownership? How does it show up in my specific work or my specific area? and doing that multiple times a year, right? Because things are evolving and changing, making it really a part of our plan and saying that, you know, hey, if if they have a new development or a new way to draw blood, like we need to know that, right? Because it's a part of our work. We need to know how to best treat LGBTQ plus population. And we need to stay up on that knowledge because it is as important life-saving um, and safety securing as drawing blood. It's important for us to marry the two and value them uh, in a very similar way. And so I see some of those things as barriers because people don't, people don't often weigh them out um, you know, in the same way. Thank you very much, Dr. Rose, for for having this this discussion with us. Cultivating awareness, I think um, hopefully this podcast will bring some awareness to some of the issues that the LGBT community are facing um, when it comes to to healthcare. And I think you made a great point that cultivating awareness is is very, very, very important in in this process. And also institution being able to make this part of the embedded culture and how they operate and how they treat patients for, no matter who people are um and in in, in respecting uh, someone's identity and being able to um give them the space and the freedom to to be themselves and also be understanding of of of, of um, our, our differences um take ownership taking ownership of ourselves how do we how do we show up in the world and, and people and our patients and 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 in making sure that we are also doing our part and and in bringing awareness and shining lights and also addressing our own personal biases and i think what's, what's important is that there, there has to be really has to be a tailored approach as, as you mentioned to um address uh this disparity within within this particular community it, it cannot be painted without you know a, a wide brush you know we have, we have disparity in the black community the latina community but I think um, the, health, the healthcare disparity in the LGBT community is one that um, really needs need a tailored approach to addressing because, you know, everyone is, like I said, everyone's not comfortable with, you know, we have our, our, our own religious beliefs, our own upbringing beliefs that all, are, that all come together and impact how we um, see people in the world. And I think once we can address that within ourselves, we can definitely have um, a better healthcare system. So once again, thank you for having this discussion with us this evening. And um, do you have anything else, um, Shannon or Michelle? No, all my questions were answered. <laughs> excellent, excellent. No, well, I do not. Thank you. Awesome. Well, thank you very much. Thank you much again, Dr. Rose. You have um, coming on with us and we much appreciate your time. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. And I just want to end with a quote um, by Dr. Martin Luther King. And it says, people fail to get along because they fear each other. They fear each other because they don't know each other. They don't know each other because they have not communicated with each other. So I want to encourage all of us to communicate. It's important that we ask critical questions so that we can have creative solutions on how to keep 
Thank you. That's great. That's, yep, that's perfect way to end. And this is great with end the podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you very much.